I titled this message, uh, Obedience According to the Father. I really should have titled it something different. It should really be um, Love According to the Father. Uh, love According to the Father. And that will make a little more sense once we, once we get into it. John chap- uh, 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Uh, now let's, let's back up and review just a little bit. Remember that the, that the Holy Spirit structured the book of 1 John in an expanding circular fashion. He doesn't uh, write um, you know, linear like, uh, like, like Paul does. Uh, he'll, he's he's going to deal with a circle of issues and then he's going to hit that topic again and the circle is going to expand and he'll cover more information. It's going to expand again. He'll cover more information. Well, our first circle here, the very first one we're working on, is the fundamental tests of genuine fellowship with the Father. Gen, uh, the just the very basic of of the tests of genuine fellowship. We've covered the first half of the circle already, which is called the fundamental tests of doctrine or uh, what we believe. Uh, in this case, what we believe about our sin, which we covered the last last two sermons. What it means is 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 that if you if you believe wrong, you will behave wrong. If we if uh, what we believe about our sin is wrong, then fellowship with the Father is a, either, either isn't going to happen at all because we're lost, or our fellowship with the Father is going to be hindered uh, because we have unconfessed sin. Uh, now we're starting the, uh, the second half of that first inner circle here, and this is called the fundamental test of duty, or uh, really this is where we, uh, where we do or practice what we say we believe. So first it was what we believe, now it's what we do with it. Uh, this second half deals with, excuse me, with our behavior. Uh, John says the first test of genuine fellowship with the Father is believing right, and the second test of genuine fellowship with the Father is doing right, which you will do if you are believing right. So let's look at verses 3 through 5, first of all. And this, we can call this the sign of obedience here, the sign of obedience. Verse 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth, or whoso keepeth, his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Now the him that we're talking about is Christ. Uh, hereby is, is, is in this. This is how we do know that we know Christ. It's if we keep his commandments. This is how the assurance of our salvation manifests itself. This is how we know right now that we are saved and in fellowship with the Father. See, the principle is is that it's not enough just to understand the theory. Uh, We have to put it into practice. Uh, You think about what, uh, what makes an artist. It's not just knowing all the rules of perspective and, and how to mix, you know, certain colors to get other colors, but it's actually, you know, picking up the brush and putting it in the paint and putting that brush on the canvas. Now, it may look a little sketchy at first, but the more you practice, the better it's going to get. See, skill comes with patient practice. Uh, you know, Rembrandt gave uh, some advice to a pupil of his, uh, and this name is, is, is great, Hoogstraten. I'd like to have a name like that, Hoogstraten. Yeah, one of Rembrandt's uh, 
pupils. Anyways, Rembrandt said this to him. Uh, Try to put well in practice what you already know, and in doing so, you will, in good time, discover the hidden things which you inquire about. So you practice what you know, and then you will learn to do more. To know about Christ, to understand the doctrine of the person of Christ and, 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 and the work of Christ it's not just theory. It's not just how much you can stuff in your brains. We get to know him. And we get to know that we know him by practicing what he has told us to do. It says we do know. That's to know by experience. Gained by experience day by day. We gain more knowledge of him as we continue to obey him. The verb is in perfect tense. It's... Uh, referring to something that happened in the past that still has the present result. Uh, that is, if we are you know, keeping his commandments, we know that we have some time in the past come to know him uh, because we have that present result. Uh, we're, we're still in the state of knowing him, and it's true at the present time because it happened in the past. Our assurances of salvation, you need to get this. Our assurances of salvation, you know, that, that comes up quite, quite a bit. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know that I'm going to heaven when I die? How do I know I've really trusted Jesus to save me? Well, our assurances of salvation, they're, they're not in what we did as much as what we are doing now because of what we did. It says we know that we have come to know him and still know him because only those who know him have been empowered by the Spirit of God to keep his commandments. You can because you are, not you are because you do. See, fellowship with the Father, fellowship with anybody, really naturally leads to knowing the one with whom the fellowship takes place. Uh, we can understand this even, even on an earthly level, a human level. Human experience tells us this. Uh, if a father and a son live apart, they're not going to know each other so well as if they live in the same house. Now, now nothing's happening to, to break that parent-child relationship, but because they're not together, they're not going to know one another quite so well. Remember that the, the false teachers that were given these believers a hard time are called the Gnostics. Um, they were real big on spiritual knowledge and, and having that secret knowledge kind of thing. Uh, they boasted of having a lot of knowledge, but, but they set aside the obedience. They set aside doing what their knowledge actually told them to do. Uh, they said they knew all about God, but they didn't do anything about it. Uh, contrary to Gnosticism, which concerns itself with just how much can I know uh, Christianity requires a moral conduct. Because Christians know, Christians do. Because Christians know Christ, Christians obey Christ. And look at verse 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments, if we, if we watch, if we guard, if we, if we keep safe as a precious thing, if we keep on keeping this, this, again, is a continual action. It's habitual, moment by moment, safeguarding Christ's words so we don't violate them. It means that we as believers can never let down our guard. We can never coast 
as believers. We must, we must stay on task. And, and this isn't you know, faultless conformity. This isn't perfectionism. Right? This is a heartfelt acceptance. It's, it's a willing subjection to whatever God's will is as he reveals it to you. It means that you have to be studious, right? That's a hard word. We don't like that. We don't like to be studious. We don't like to put the effort into studying. Uh, with studying is awareness of the flesh, right? I mean, studying just makes you tired. Get over it, okay? We have to studiously guard God's word in our heart and mind. It has to be precious to us. And the keep does, doesn't just speak of, of the act of obeying his commands, but it speaks of, of a desire to be attentive so that we, so that we don't disobey them. It's, it's almost a, a fear of, of it getting away. It's a fear of it slipping out of our hands. Not, not our salvation, but, but Jesus' words. And this fear is, is, is self-distrust. It's a tenderness of conscience. It's a, it's a vigilance against temptation. It's the, it's the fear which, which, which God's word says is set against high-mindedness. It says don't be high-minded, but fear. It's, it's the taking heed, being careful lest you trip and fall. It's a constant apprehension of the deceitfulness of your own heart. It's understanding the insidiousness and the power of your heart to be deceptive. Remember that a heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It's realizing that your heart will lie to you. And you will know it's lying. And you'll believe the lie anyways. See, it's guarding against that. It's that caution, the watchfulness which, which shrinks away from anything that would offend or dishonor God or our Savior. It's, it's, it's our love for God's word and our guardianship of that word so that we don't dishonor it. That's what keep means. See, obedience is, is the condition for this, this kind of knowing of Christ. It also means, uh, it's, it's the means by which we as believers can be sure that we really have come to know him. You know you know Christ because you are right now motivated by your love for him, keeping his commandments. And the words commandments is not, what do you first think of when you hear of commandments? You think of the Ten Commandments, right? You think of the Old Testament law, right? That's not what this is. Right? John, John doesn't use uh, that word pneuma, which would refer to, 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 to God's Old Testament law and the Ten Commandments. He uses that word when he refers to things that Moses wrote. Uh, it's a different word here. It, it, it means an order, uh, a command, a charge, or precept. Uh, these are the things that are given by the Lord Jesus, either personally while he was on earth or, or through his apostles, through the written, written words of the New Testament. So he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the very things that Jesus himself spoke and said. It's a careful guarding of the precepts of Christ, this consuming desire that everything Jesus said that we are to do is honored. It's a, it's a passionate determination that, that, that they're always kept, and that is, that is a proof gained from experience. 
The more you know Christ, the more you obey Christ, the better you know Christ. It means that that person's come to this experiential knowledge of the Lord and is at present, right now, knowing Christ. And here again we see the difference between knowledge just to know stuff and knowledge that changes belief. Just knowledge will not change your behavior, but believing that knowledge, thinking differently because of that knowledge, that will change what you do. How do you know that you know him? How do you know that you know Christ? It's because your behavior has changed as a result of your beliefs changing. You believe, therefore you behave. Now look at verse 4 again. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This is one who keeps on saying, I know Christ, I've come to know Christ, and he keeps on not keeping his commandments. God says, he's a liar. That's pretty tough words, right? That's, that's pretty stern. Uh, but is God saying this to be mean? Well, no. He's trying to protect you against that, that, that self-deception, against deceiving yourself, against lying to yourself. You see, God wants, the Father wants fellowship with you. He wants you to have his joy. And that won't happen as long as you're lying about knowing Christ. Just as over in chapter 1, verse 6, someone may profess a relationship with God which his life shows that they don't possess. And see, John, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is not afraid to, to, to call that what it is. It's a lie. Okay, it says he is a liar. His whole character is false. It means if you claim to know God, if you claim to have a relationship with Christ, and you live in disobedience, God says you're a liar. It's what he says. Black and white. There it is. It means that in such a person, the truth is not in him. The truth is not dynamic. It's not a controlling influence. They are seriously out of touch with spiritual reality. A.T. Robertson uh, made this comment about this. He says, this is one of those pious, pious platitudes, the cheap claptrap of the Gnostics who would bob up in meetings with such explosions. What he means is people would pop up, oh, I know Christ, I've known Christ for years. And somebody else would pop up, oh, I know Christ, I know Christ for years. But their lives showed something contrary. The way they lived, the way they didn't keep Christ's commandments, shown that even though they gave testimonies of knowing Christ, they were lying. person is unsaved because a believer as a habit of life obeys the word of God will you get it right every single second of the day no you won't but there's going to be a movement a progression towards more and more obedience as you get to know Jesus better and better see where there is no evidence there is no relationship because a relationship produces evidence so you can do and still not be. You can come to church and you can play the game and you can do everything right and still not know Christ. 
but you cannot be and still not do. You cannot know Christ and not keep his commandments. Now, these warnings are given, again, not to be mean. He, John's not, not, not trying to be antagonistic here. He, he just wants to give the warning before it's too late so you can know either that you know Christ and that you know that you know Christ, or you can know that you don't know Christ and then can get saved and know Christ. Look at verse 5. It says, But whoso keepeth his word, and word is tied to commandments in verse 4 and commandments in verse 3, whoso keepeth his word in him, the one that's keeping the word, Verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. That whoso, that's, that's whosoever. Now remember the Gnostics, they were, uh, they were snoots. The Gnostics were elitists. They thought, oh, you can't really be close to God. You can't really know God unless you have this, uh, this secret knowledge. And, and I'm not going to tell you the secret knowledge until you kind of go through our initiation. And then you'll graduate and then you get to know the secret stuff. Then you'll be really close to God. No, this destroys the religious exclusiveness of the Gnostics. Here we see that knowing the Lord, knowing Christ, is for anyone who believes, anybody who comes to Christ in faith. See, those Gnostic false teachers, they didn't have fellowship with the Father. Those troublemakers trying to split the church didn't have joy. All they could do was sin. They were lying to themselves. They were deceived. And and don't think for a minute that you're a second-class Christian because you don't have that extra, super, secret, squirrel, spiritual knowledge that somebody says you have to say have to get close to God. You, you, you have the real knowledge of God. You have the, the knowledge that matters. You have the knowledge of God that leads you to obey Christ. That's how you know it's real. The Gnostics didn't have that. It says, whosoever keeps on continually keeping here. And this is by a, a, a continuous keeping of Christ's commandments. It's not by, you know, a loud talk and then loose living. It's not, you know, acting all churchy on Sunday and then going hanging out to the bars on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday nights. No, this is, this is where, where what you say matches what you do. They're continually keeping because the salvation has already happened. You might think of it this way. If what you say don't match your play, God says nay. All right, I promise I'll try to never do that again. All right? <laughs> but you won't forget that, will you? See, talk is cheap. Anybody can say they know Christ. Anybody can say they have a relationship with God. John is warning them against that because, because that is such a trap and it's a dangerous trap. Because people like that end up dying without Christ and spending an eternity in hell and that is not what God wants. He wants you to know for certain that you have a relationship with him. Here's the ultimate 
proof the, and, and, and really motivation for keeping what Jesus said. It says, in him has the love of God been perfected. In other words, the obedient child of God is characterized by a few things. It's not by any you know, trait of, of, of their own personality. But they're subject to the work of God in them. One commentary says, as the sphere in which that love accomplishes its perfect work. See, love in its very essence is reciprocal. See, love needs, needs two parties. We mentioned this in Sunday school. Love, love needs two parties. It needs the person giving the love and the person receiving the love. By our life in Christ and our love to God, we become then, as believers, we become the manifestation of God's love. See, love here answers to knowledge up in verse 3. In, in proportion as we know God, in that same proportion that we know him, we obey him, and vice versa. That happens over and over and over again. We know him, so we obey him. When we obey him, we get to know him better. We know him better, we obey more. We get to know him more, we obey better. And that continues to go and go and go until we've attained that, 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 that perfection, that, that completeness. And, and, and the love is brought to its completion or perfection in the sense that it accomplishes what God intended it to. What does God's love intend for you to do? Keep Christ's commandments. Obey God's word. Not because you should, although you should. Not because it's right to do so, although it is right to do so. Not in order to escape chastisement should you disobey it, although you would want to escape that. Whatever the motives that happen to enter your mind for obeying or, you know, Maybe some of them are proper, some of them aren't. But you obey the word because you love Jesus. That's what the love of God is seeking to accomplish in your life, to bring you to where you obey him because you love him. Then, then the love of God has been perfected. It, it has accomplished what it was intended to accomplish. You see, love must and love will keep the word of God. Particularly if you don't have time to turn there, but John 14, 21 to 23, if you want to jot that down, John 14, 21 to 23, it says this, He that hath my commandments and keeps, keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. See, if you love him, you keep his commandments. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest, show myself unto him. Judith, not Iscariot, saith unto him, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And he says in verse 23, Jesus answereth and saith unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. In this passage, the obedient disciple, the growing Christian, the one who wants to move closer and closer to Christ, is promised a special experience of the love of the Father and the Son. Now, since the Christian is already the object of God's saving love, this additional experiential realization of God's affection 
this is how the love of God is perfected or, or how it accomplishes its purpose. An obedient believer has a deep, full-orbed acquaintance with God's love, as one commentary says. Since God is love, to note God intimately is to know his love for you intimately. And the more lovingly obedient you are, the more you get to know God's love for you. The more you obey, the more you see of his love. The more you obey, the more you see of his love. See, verse 5 says, Hereby, hereby know we that we are in him. This is how we know that we are in him. God's love is at work in us. God's love is at work through us. This is the personal experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus that is open to anyone, everyone that believes. We, we know that we are in him, that we know him, that we love him because God is infusing his love more and more into us that, 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 that irresistibly leads to more obedience of his commands. Now look at verse 6. This is the sign of imitation. We had the sign of obedience. Now it's the sign of imitation. Verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So verses 3, 4, and 5 bring us to verse 6. He that saith, okay, to declare oneself on Christ's side, Matthew Henry says, binds one morally to imitate him. If you say you are in Christ, you must do his words to validate your claim. And if you are in Christ, then you will. See, the word abide, is, John, use, John likes this word, abide. It's uh, usually, you can find it in Greek writings that, that aren't in scripture. Uh, and it, it refers to people living in a home together. It implies more than just the position of having a room in the house. It, uh, it, it, it has this idea of fellowship, communion, dependence, harmony, friendship. And to abide in the Lord Jesus implies not just you know, being saved, and that's it, but a relationship. It implies fellowship and friendship and dependence and harmony and communion. John 15, 1 through 8, we have the parable of the vine and the branches. And we see this kind of fleshed out. The vine-branch relationship is an image of a growing Christian, the discipleship experience. And Jesus says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Well, here in verses 5 and 6, discipleship is also in view here. It's seen from, from the reference of, of, of the imitation of Christ. Abide here is the same word abide in John 15. So, the first part of verse 6. He that saith, he abideth in him. Are, 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 are you saying this? Are you saying that you are abiding in Christ? Are you, are you saying that you know Jesus? Are, are you saying that you're saved? Are you saying that you're a child of God? Well, the next part of the verse shows us then that, uh, that if that's what you're saying, you owe a debt. Because that's what the word ought means. He that saith that he abideth in him ought. Means to owe, to owe money, to owe a debt, to be under obligation, bound by duty. 
To say that you abide in Christ is to obligate yourself to a certain criteria of behavior. There's an expectation that has been placed upon you. You're expected to live just so. Look at what it says. He that saith he abideth in Christ ought himself also so to walk. So is in the manner spoken of. If you say you're in Christ, you're to walk like Christ. It's in the way described. It's emphasizing again this continual action. When we first moved to Alaska, I was 10 years old. We were living in Fort Wainwright outside Fairbanks. Dad was in the Army then. Came back from Vietnam, second tour, so there we are. My dad's commander, Major Didivo, um, taught me how to tie flies so that I could tie my own. I can go fish with them. And he'd sit me down, you know, a couple of nights a week until I got this. And, and you know, he'd have his vice up there with the hook and, and thread. And I'd have my vice with the hook and the, and the thread. And he goes, all right, you start the string just so. You know, and he'd show me how to do it. And, and then he says, all right, you tie on the tail just, just so. And the tail goes on, you wrap it up. Then you have to follow the string up to the head. And then do it back down again. Then you tie on the body. All right, you tie on the body just so. And then you wrap the body just so. And, and, and he would say that, and just so, just so. So I'd try to do it like him. And, and, and then he'd say, all right, the hackle's a little tricky. You guys know what the hackle is, right? It's that, that, that big fuzzy end right at, the, right, right at the front. It's a little tricky, but you do it just so, all right? Well, my first flies were nightmares. Fish ran screaming when they saw them. But I did just so, and I got better and better, and pretty soon my flies began looking sort of like his. And then I began catching fish on my flies. I was, I was walking the fly-tying path just so. That's what this word means here in verse 6. Those who profess to know Christ, those who profess to abide with Christ must walk with him, must, must walk after his pattern, must walk after his example, must walk and live just so as Christ did. Then, he says in John fifteen fourteen, then you're my friends if you do what I command you. So we're left with if you and really, you shouldn't call yourself a friend of Jesus if you're not going to do what he says. This Christ-like life admonished here has to be that continual, habitual, moment-by-moment experience of, of a believer trying to push into Christ, not the sporadic, infrequent kind of thing. And the pattern of Christ, you think about the pattern that Christ set out for us in the New Testament constantly, time and time again. His pattern was humiliation and self-sacrifice. That's the life of Christ. And this should be the focus of a Christian seeking to imitate Christ with his life. Imitation involves keeping his commandments. You can't imitate Christ and not do all he said do. You can't imitate Christ and not do as he did. You know, Martin Luther said that it's, uh, that it's not Christ walking on the sea that we're supposed to be imitating, because that's something only God can do. But it's his, it's his, it's his ordinary walk, his day-to-day walk that we are called to imitate. The humbleness of mind, the sacrifice of life, that is the life that we're to imitate. 
See, the Lord wants you to know your spiritual condition. He wants you to know so much so that, that, that he made it 100% possible for you to know for sure whether you're saved or not, born again or not, going to heaven or hell. He wants you to know whether you do or do not have a saving relationship with him. And all through 1 John, he gives you, for lack of a better word, he gives you tests. He gives you indicators. Do you love God? Do you obey God? Do you tell the truth about your sin? Do you agree with God as to the heinousness and offensiveness of your sin towards God's holiness? Have you trusted Jesus to save you from those sins that have separated you from God? See, this morning we've seen the indicators of obedience, the indicators of imitation. Obedience to Jesus' commands and, and, and imitation of Jesus' life. But with these tests, with these indicators, see, God doesn't grade on a curve. It's either pass or fail. It's uh, saved or lost. It's, it's, it's forgiven or already condemned. And he, he wants to save you. He is willing to forgive you of all the sin that has affronted him. But what you must do, though, is to come to Jesus to be saved. You must confess your sin and rebellion towards God. You must repent of, and that means to change your mind about, to, to, to leave behind that sin as you come to Jesus in faith, asking him to save you and place you in fellowship with God the Father. He wants this to happen, and he's writing this not so that, that, that you can be isolated, not so that you can be ostracized, but so you can know, so that you can know that you know that you know that you know Jesus as your Savior. He wants that to happen. So he's given us this passage and these several others through First John that says, this is how you know. This is how you know that you know Jesus. This is how you know if you don't know Jesus. And what happens if you find yourself not knowing Jesus? You need to get to know Jesus. You need to trust him to save you from your sins. You need to, to, to pour yourself out at his feet. And you need to say, Jesus, I am lost. I am a sinner. I am, I am going to die in my sins, separated from God. Please forgive me. Save me. And Jesus says that he will save all that come to him in faith. Please don't, uh, please don't wait. Make sure. Be, be sure. Just stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. In just a moment, we're going to sing our uh, closing hymn. Right now, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning, and we do want to express our thanks to you. For the sacrifice of your son, we thank you for your, again, Lord, your determination to have a relationship with us and to have nothing between us and you. So, Father, I pray for anyone here this morning that may not know Christ or may not be sure if they know Christ. That, Father, your spirit would work in them, uh, convince them, Father, one way or the other. 
that, Father, if they find by your conviction that they do not know Jesus, Lord, that you would, uh, as we've prayed often, Lord, you would make them so horribly uncomfortable in their sin that, Father, they can't help but come to throw themselves at the feet of Christ and ask forgiveness and ask to be saved. Father, for those of us who know Christ, I pray that this is ever in the forefront of our thinking, that that we express our love only, only by doing what you tell us to do. Lord, we obey you because we love you. Help us to love you more by obeying you more, by pressing into Christ even further and and instead of running from the sin, just Lord, help us just to run to Christ. To obey him and to love him and to obey him and to love him more and more. Father, we need you to do this work in us. We cannot do it ourselves. Our flesh is weak. But Lord, your spirit indwells us who believe. And he is strong. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 548, if you take your hymn book, 548.